Hi everyone, welcome to Take 10 for Torah number 859. I hope you are well. Any questions, comments, suggestions, recommendations, or sponsorships, email me at rabbiyismach at take10fortorah.org. I hope you enjoy this repeated series over the next few days, an annual favorite. What I wanted to do today is actually begin a, a bit of a series. This is a series based on classes that I've given over the course of many years, a class called How Much is Too Much? Really understanding the basics of what is required when we clean for Pesach, what are all of the various controversies that come up when we talk about Pesach and egg matzah and kitniot and gebrachts and non-gebrachts and different types of matzah. I want to pretty much go through what you need to know in regard to Pesach. Some of them I'm going to parse out into individual classes, but this is going to be part one of one or two or three classes. We'll, We'll see exactly how far it goes. To begin, you get the fact that the Torah is very into the idea of prohibiting chametz. You can't eat it, you can't own it, you can't derive benefit from it, and that's all learned from different psukim that we have in the Torah. And we know that not only that, but there are also extra stringencies that are attached. The Torah teaches us tashbisu. you got to rid your home from it. We don't even trust you, so to speak, to not eat it and to not own it and not to derive benefit from it. So this obligation to get rid of it, we know as B'dikat Chametz, but we also know this as cleaning for Pesach, right? Our B'dikat Chametz is we go one night and we look through the house maybe with a, you know, a, I don't know, a feather and, and, and the candle and that whole spoon business. But when we do that, what we're really doing is finishing a process that we begin, I don't know, depending on your level of um, obsessive compulsivity, you may have started already months ago. But that's just the capstone of what we do when we clean for Pesach. That's B'dikat Chametz. Not only can we eat it, own it, or derive benefit, we also cannot even have it around. Tashpisu, the Torah says, you have to get rid of it entirely. Now this creates an overwhelming level of stress. You know, we're not exactly sure what do we have to do, what do we have to clean, what does it mean to get rid of it? And somehow, at the end, by the time Pesach comes around, we're so tired and exhausted, it's me'avdut l'chero. You know, it's literally from servitude to freedom because we're finally done. So I wanted to get into precisely what is the obligation, what are we asked to do. So in order to do that, we have to start at understanding what is chametz. Torah says chametz is prohibited. The Torah says something called sa'ar is prohibited. And also, it raises the stakes very high. It says that the punishment of being involved with these things, of eating these things, is actually the punishment of karate, which is uh, pretty serious. And so it behooves us to find out exactly what we're talking about, which is probably also part of the reason that we traditionally go so crazy. I would just add that for those um, who have learned the halachot inside uh, a text, there is no topic, there's almost no topic in halacha that takes up more space than Hilcha Pesach. It's like really tremendous and really overwhelming. So let's begin. In order to make chametz, we have to understand what makes matzah. In order to make matzah, and this will devote a whole class to um, the, the figuring out what they're selling us on the shelves, but in regard to chametz and matzah, it's really the same ingredients. Five grains, five possible grains, doesn't have to be all five, it could be any one of them, and water. So the five grains are barley, rye, oats, wheat, and spelt, otherwise known as brows, like your eyebrows, B-R-O-W-S, barley, rye, oats, wheat, and spelt. Any one of those five grains can be used for the mitzvah of matzah. Those five grains mixed with water can, if cooked quick, become matzah, and if delayed, a fermentation process begins, carbon dioxide bubbles form, it expands, it rises, as we know, you might use yeast, which would be act as a catalyst in order to get it to rise quicker, but in any event, that would be chametz. So the same five ingredients, on the one hand, they are uh, matzah, if uh, cooked at the right amount of time, and they are chametz, if they are not cooked in the right amount of time. Okay, so now to begin, let's say I use a different grain. 
Let's say I don't use uh, barley, rye, oats, wheat, and spell. Let's say I use rice or lentils or peas or corn or buckwheat or mustard seed or soy, ki uh, kidney bean, lima bean, garbanzo bean, any of those things. So let's be clear about this. Nobody, nobody in the world holds uh, currently that any of that can become chametz. If it's not one of the five grains, it is not chametz. But you'll tell me, oh, I thought Ashkenazim don't eat that. And the answer is, you're right. Ashkenazim don't eat it. But that's for a different reason. It's in a category known as kitniot. Kitniot means legumes or beans um, and all of those other things which are not of the five grains. They are not chametz, but they're also not eaten by Ashkenazim. Now, the reason they're not eating Ash by Ashkenazim, there are a couple of reasons that are given. Either A, because um, the flowers that are created from them are easily confused. Some people think that's the reason. Some people think that uh, when these grains were processed, they had other grains mixed in, which is why even Svaradim, who do eat rice, for example, they, uh, they go through like multiple checkings. They have, they have a very elaborate protocol for how to make sure that they check properly for these things, and so they also treat it more stringently. But in any event, these things are not chametz, even according to Ashkenazim, but Ashkenazim do not eat them. And let me explain to you what the difference is. Remember, I keep saying, you can't eat, you can't own, you can't derive benefit from chametz. When it comes to kidney oat, we just don't eat them. You can own it. If you have uh, candies at home, if you have some sort of product at home that is only kidney oat, it doesn't have to be sold. It could just be left in your pantry, and it's fine. You could derive benefit from it. You could feed it to your dog. And not only that, but in situations where things are difficult, having finding other food is difficult, you would probably be allowed to eat the kidney oat as well. The classic example of this is baby formula. Babies don't have the opportunity to, uh, you know, choose their foods. They, they have their formula. The formula is kidney oat. So, like, what are you going to do? The baby's used to eating this food, so you're allowed to use the kidney oat. You might want to prepare it on a different sink. You might want to keep it away from your food. But Tashkenazim, it's not chametz, but traditionally we have held this to be a Pesach practice of avoiding kidney oat for a thousand years. So it's a pretty big deal, but understand that the severity of it is not so great. For example, dishes, right? So if I eat at a, a Sephardic person's house, and I'm Ashkenazi, and I, they're serving rice, no problem with that, and there's no problem even with using dishes that serve the rice, as long as I'm just not eating the rice. So a lot of the restrictions that apply to chametz do not apply to kidneyo because it really is a different category. There's more to talk about with kidneyo, but let's move on. Let's say I, you don't use the other ingredient, right? So we said there are two ingredients to matzah and, and, and chametz. One ingredient is the five grains, barley, rye, oats, wheat, spelt, and the other ingredient is water. Let's say instead of water, I use some other type of juice and some other type of liquid. For example, eggs or some sort of other juice. So here's the situation. What that's called is matzah ashira. Usually we refer to matzah as lechem oni, the bread of affliction, the bread of a poor person. The ingredients are very bare and, and, and there's nothing to it. There's no taste to it. And so that's matzah. Lechem oni. Lechem ashira, matzah ashira, is when I add something of substance, something like, you know, wealthy. It's bread with bling. And so matzah that has, instead of water, plain Jane water, but it also has uh, eggs or something like that, that creates a, a status of matzah ashira. And matzah ashira, the following debate exists. Some hold that possibly it could become chametz. Ashkenazim are generally stringent with matzah ashira and only allow matzah ashira, this rich matzah, this egg matzah, for the old and infirm. And indeed, if you take a look at the boxes of matzah that, uh, where they sell egg matzah on Pesach, it'll usually say some sort of disclaimer to that end, that it's sold for the old and infirm. 
and somebody who needs it, but otherwise uh, it shouldn't be eaten. Svardim, on the other hand, do eat matzah ashira on Pesach. Here's one of the situations where they are again lenient, and they do eat matzah ashira on Pesach, but they will not eat matzah ashira at the Seder. They won't eat matzah ashira for the mitzvah of matzah, because matzah is supposed to be lechem oni halachma anya. It's supposed to be poor man's bread, not rich man's bread. So while they don't hold that it's a chametz problem the rest of the holiday, excuse me, the holiday, they do hold that it's inappropriate to be eating it for the mitzvah of matzah on the Seder night. Now, there's another controversy, maybe we'll have time to get into in the next couple of weeks, called um, gebrucht. Gebrucht refers to getting matzah wet. And here's the concern. There are two possible concerns, maybe three, two possible concerns, major concerns that existed. And this is more particularly a Hasidic custom, um, Definitely not Sephardic, but a Hasidic, specifically Hasidic Ashkenazi custom. Nowadays, it very much carries the day uh, because of the economics of Pesach. When people are making cakes and people are making uh, cookies and, and their hotels are planning their menus, they want to be able to attract as many possible people as they can. So they want to make sure that their standards are fitting for as many possible people as can come. And so with the issue of gebrakts, you have a lot of people who will only eat non-gebrakts food. So what does gebrakts mean? Gebrakts means water comes into contact with matzah. So either water comes into contact with a piece of matzah, like I stick matzah in my soup, or water comes into contact with broken pieces of matzah, otherwise known as matzah meal. What's the problem? So there are two possible problems in this, whoever originated Gebrux, two possible problems they had. This is a few hundred years ago. One problem was, let's say, I made a piece of matzah, and I needed the, the water together with the flour, the flour together with the water. And let's say I didn't knead it properly. And so there might be a pocket of flour, which is still there. So now if it gets wet, it might become chametz, that flour, and I won't eat it quickly enough, and it'll have fermented. That's A. Problem B is matzah meal looks a lot like flour, and so there might be confusion caused. And so for those reasons, this custom developed. Now again, it's a Hasidic custom. It's not followed by everybody. Uh, it's not followed by most. But then again, Hasidim have a lot of there are a lot of Hasidim, and therefore it very much dictates the agenda in many Pesach programs, many Pesach hotels, and that's the story. Okay, so that's Gebrachts. We talked about matzah ashira. We talked about kidneyos, and we're going to talk about how to get rid of chametz tomorrow.